I think it's going to get a little bit easier for buyers come fall, especially in the single-family world. And you know, I, this is going to this may sound weird to some folks, but I see that as a as a vote for the in, it'll, the market continuing because that's what's needed for it to be healthy. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, welcome back. This is Aaron Amuchastegui, and today I get to talk to Andrew Cushman. Today, it's this week's State of the Market. Andrew's with Vantage Point Acquisitions. Andrew and I met back in 2015. You know, he's a, he's a real estate investor. I don't, I don't know, I don't really know what he would call himself, you know, fund manager, you know, puts things together, puts deals together, meets people, uh, and I'll let him do a little bit of that. Andrew, how's it going, man? It's going really well. Uh, glad to be uh, talking with you again. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, I guess what I call myself, or most people would recognize, is a multifamily syndicator. So I used to be chemical engineer. Uh, then back in 2007, went into flipping houses here in Southern California, did the flipping thing for a few years. And then for the last, uh, I guess, 10 years, uh, we've been doing uh, multifamily properties uh, across the U.S., mostly in the Southeast U.S., done about 2,100 units. And uh, it's been a really, really good run. So. So when somebody says I'm a syndicator, what does that mean? What's a, what's a syndicator? In a part of the yeah, what that what that means is it's think about it as like a, like a cruise ship, right? If you want to enjoy the benefits of a cruise, you don't go out and buy a two billion dollar cruise ship and then you know get a couple of friends and, and and try to go sail around the Caribbean, right? You find somebody else that can purchase and operate that cruise ship and then you pay a fee to go to joint to get on it and enjoy the benefits that's kind of what syndication is you've got like a 20 million dollar apartment complex most individuals don't have the funds or expertise to take to take that down themselves and so that's what our job is is we go find those deals arrange them get them set for acquisition and then you know close on them we operate them maximize them and eventually sell them and then what the syndication part comes in is uh, you know let's say we need um, four million dollars in equity then various investors will come in and say okay well i want to participate with 100 grand or 200 grand or 50,000 and so the syndication is pooling investors together so that we can basically acquire an asset and share a benefit that you wouldn't be able to do individually yeah, that's a great elevator pitch for syndication. It's like, no, you're not going to buy a cruise ship. You're going to get on a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else. I have not heard that before. I like it. So you've been, so you're a real estate expert, man. You've been doing this since you know 2007 ish. You've got to see, you know, boom years and starting in 2007 was the market was, it was starting to tail off in Southern California, but maybe we didn't quite feel it yet. We didn't quite feel it as much until 08, 09. And then by then it really started Kind of tailing. So you've seen some up cycles, you've seen some down cycles, you're in some really big transactions right now. And today we're going to talk a lot about predictions in the market. There's so many news articles out there right now that are predicting two different things. Some are mm -hmm. saying you got to buy a house now or you'll never be able to. Other things are saying, wait till next year, it's going to get more affordable. So much conflicting information out there. That's why I like to, to dig in and, and look at it. But two of the perspectives you're going to be able to give us today. And I apologize to, to my listeners if I've got like a rasp in my voice. I just had a, a crazy weekend. And as I'm trying to catch back up, I lost my voice a little bit, but I figured I could push through and be able to, to talk to Andrew today. So Andrew, you're a buyer in today's market and you're a seller in today's market. So people have been talking like crazy about it being a seller's market. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the big transaction that you just had and what that was like as a, as a seller. You know, what did you sell? What did you think it was going to sell for? What was the process like and how did it end up? Yeah, it was, it was quite the eye-opening process. So we were selling an, an asset in the Atlanta area, a uh, 132-unit uh, apartment complex. And when we did, and, and the reason we're, it's a great area. The reason we're selling it is because we, when we bought it, we told our investors we're going to hold it for five years and we're actually a little bit past that time point. So it's, it's, it's time to go ahead and do that. When we got together with the brokers, you know, everyone kind of said, hey, we think this thing will sell for about 17.6 million. You know, that's kind of the target. Well, we just, uh, we accepted our final offer today for 20.735 million. 
Uh, the, there's so much demand in the market right now that even a lot of brokers that I talk to, they're like, yeah, we don't know how to value the properties anymore. Like even the brokers can't guess half the time what it's going to sell for uh, in, in the market. So you're going to sell it for 16 million. Now, and everybody out there, it's, you know, if, if it seems too giant, take it down to a $160,000 house, right? Yeah, yeah. It scales down just the same. It scales down the same percentage, but you think you're going to sell it for $16 million, You sell it for $20 million. As an apartment asset, what was the cap rate at 16 And the person that bought it for 20 what cap rate will they get? You know, the cap rate on that is probably in the high threes to maybe around 4 4%. How new, what kind of an asset, like what, how, how nice of a, when I think of three cap, apartment complexes. I'm thinking super, super nice trophy asset. <laughs> it, used to, it used to be class C, class D would get you six, seven, eight, and the, but if you were down in the three or fours, it was like the nicest property you could ever walk through. What, what's it like right now that's trading like that? Yeah. And you know what, for anybody who's out there buying, this is, a, this is one of the reasons why I would recommend going for class B or even A, because the difference in cap rates between that nasty D property and that A property, there's almost no difference in cap rates now. So for you, for the, so you might as well pay the same cap rate and get a nicer asset that's going to appreciate more and have le and have less headache. Um, so that these properties were there are actually, actually two properties that were selling as one. One was built in 1999, the other one was built in 1988. Uh, they're just solid B class properties in a in a rapidly growing suburb of Atlanta uh, on the south side. And uh, you know they're not uh, you know they're, we lightly renovated them. We did keep them in great shape. There's no deferred maintenance or anything like that. Uh, they're clean, safe properties, but by no means are they class A, new construction, shiny, luxury, or anything like that. That is crazy to me that someone would buy that big of a property at a three cap. When I was you know first getting into multifamily, I needed to see. I was chasing those higher returns, so I would get the properties that weren't quite as nice and pretty cool right now that you can get an A or a B right now for essentially the same return as the others. So if you're going to go into apartments, go big. But so that's when we're talking about the market overall, there's that, what that really tells us is there are people, there's so much cash in the market that there are people out there that are willing to get just a 3% return on their money, right? Which is lower than most interest rates right now. If someone's going to, if someone's going to go finance an apartment, Andrew, what sort of, what sort of loan could they get right now? Depends very much on the condition of the asset and the size of the loan because the bigger the loan the better the terms but you know you can get bridge loans and uh fannie freddie mac floating rate loans in the mid to high two percent range so we just got quoted a 2.55 on a loan on monday if you're doing like 10-year fixed loans you know kind of what a lot of people are more used to just fixed rate you know you're looking at anywhere from maybe 3.1 to 3.8 and if you're doing bridge loans or bank loans, you might be in the low fives, something like that. So yeah, rates are pretty low. But you know, when you talk about it, it's amazing that people are happy with a three, three, you know, three percent cap rate or even a four percent. The reason why is because if you look at like the ten-year bond, the real interest rates on those are negative. Right. The 10 year bonds yielding like what, 1.38 or something like that today. And if you subtract the rate of inflation from that, that gives you a negative real interest rate. So getting a three cap or four cap on a real asset that will appreciate looks like a great deal compared to someone who needs to place money um, in their, in their head and they're looking at treasuries. Wow. So as, as Andrew and I are talking today, I'm going to keep track of the two predictions as the market kind of going up or down and the based on like each little category. And when, when I take away from that and I say there are so many buyers uh, in the market and they have so much cash that they're willing to take such a low return, my vote for that category would say that's telling me the market is going to continue to go up. What would you, where would you put your vote based on that, Andrew? I would vote the same. And, and, and you know, this process of selling that Atlanta property has been a bit eye-opening because, you know, there were, I don't remember, I think there was a total of 20 or 25 offers and these were not, maybe two of them were kind of like, you know, fly by night, you know, people who don't really know what they're doing, just throwing in offers. The, you know, the vast 90 plus percent of the offers and the people who looked at it were very sophisticated, very wealthy institutions or individuals. Some of them own, you know, 15,000 units. And they are looking at this property saying, hey, we think there's tons of upside. You know, yeah, we're going to buy it at a, you know, 
three and three quarter cap, but we're, we see, you know, we can raise rents and there's population growth and there's income growth. And the thing about the, the lower cap rates is the lower your cap rate, the, the, your cat, your cash flow is thinner, but your lever to create more equity is stronger. And a lot of them, they're, a lot of them, these really sophisticated, you know, high net worth people are, are seeing that happening going forward. Um, so it was really kind of eye-opening to us because we're still out, we're out there trying to buy too. And it was a confirmation that, hey, there's a lot of people who are much bigger and hopefully much more intelligent than us. And they're out there buying as much as they can. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui for a quick commercial break. So during 2020 and 2021, the real estate market completely changed. There's so much competition in the market, so many people trying to buy and sell houses, but there's hardly any supply, hardly any product, hardly anyone willing to list their homes. It's time for every agent out there to become a hybrid agent investor to be able to reach out directly to homeowners to try to get them to sell or list their house. We've got a new website. Go to leadpropeller.com and you can set up your own investor buyer website in just minutes. You'll set up your own URL, set up phone numbers, help go through the leads, help reach out to people that aren't listing their their property currently and have them fill out a form that says, hey, I want to sell my house. And then as an agent, you can go through and make them a hybrid offer. You can tell them, hey, I think your house would sell for $220,000 on MLS, but I can either write you a $180,000 cash offer right now or I can help you fix it up and you'll list it for 220,000 on MLS. These are buyers that are looking for quick cash offers. Tens of thousands are submitting these forms every single day and they're skipping the listing process. But so many of you guys out there are such good agents, it's a great opportunity to get that lead and help them maximize sales price for their home. So again, go to leadpropeller.com and think about signing up for your own investor site so buyers will start reaching out to you asking you to make an offer on their home. Yeah. So the, so how about on the other side? So you're also a buyer right now. Mm-hmm. You, so today you got an escrow to sell a property and you got an escrow to buy a property or you bought one and you sold one either. It was one of those two. We closed but, on an acquisition today. Yeah. Closed on an acquisition. So what's it like on the buyer side? The buyer side. I mean, if you can imagine the, the flip side of your, you know, if it's a listed property, you're going to be one of those 25 offers. And I think you know anybody who's tried to buy a house or a duplex in the last six months has probably had that experience where, you know, you put in an offer fifty thousand over asking and you still didn't make it. You know, so as a buyer, it's very difficult. We're finding, you know, the the only time we have a legitimate chance of getting a deal is if we make the deal. Meaning, and that can mean that could be a number of things. Meaning, uh, so for example, the one that we closed today, it was off market, basically working directly with the seller, a broker that we know connected us, and so we got to work one on one. We had no other competitive bids to go against. It was just, hey, can we work out a deal that um, that works for us? And then when we closed a much larger portfolio back in March, and it was very similar where it was off market, there were still a bunch of people chasing the guy, throwing an offer, unsolicited offers at him. But we were able to get the deal by you know, meeting in person with them multiple times. And we actually arranged like a, um, a partial like installment sale, which is a, a form of seller financing, which works even on $50 million transactions. Uh, all, again, that's something that you, know, you can use to create a win-win situation, whether it's a single family house or you know, a couple hundred apartments. And because of that structure and that off-market nature, we were able to get that deal done. Uh, but if it's a listed property, you know, the brokers are sending it out to everybody or it's you know, something on an MLS or anything along those lines, we find it incredibly competitive and, and very hard to win those deals. So you could still get deals if you're creative. The, are there any tax incentives for a seller when they're doing kind of that seller carry type stuff? Are they, are they pushing part of the sale back until later or is it really just a way to get the deal done? Exactly. You're, you're completely, you're right on track. So that was one of the things we did. We actually said, Hey, can you bring your CPA into this conversation? And we basically said, look, if you'd structure it this way, it's the same as if we paid you another $1.2 million because that's how much in taxes it's going to save you. Right. So, yeah, that was that was part of it. It saves the seller or at minimum postpones a a significant amount of taxes. And so that can be an incentive, especially, you know, one of the biggest problems today is a lot of people don't want to sell because they don't know what they, they don't have a place to invest the money after they sell. And so if you can help solve that problem, that can help you win a deal. 
Yeah, I like it. So I think that second story, I would say that's still, if I was going to vote on, does it, do I think the market's going up or down? It was, you've been trying really, really hard to get a deal. The only way you were able to get one is you kind of created the deal. You created the off-market deal and you hustled. That to me says we've still got, I would still vote on the market is continue, going to continue to go strong because there's a ton of buyers out there still trying to get properties. So the would you, you, same vote on that one too? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of factors and I'm sure, I know, I'm sure we'll talk about a handful of the others, but to me, the strongest one, the the most reliable in indicator is simply supply and demand. And right now, demand far outstrips supply, both in terms of investors wanting to buy properties and residents wanting to live in them. Yeah. All right. I'm going to start sharing some articles and we're going to get into some of the other ones. If you guys are watching us on YouTube, you're going to see the articles. Uh, if not, you'll, you guys will see some of my Instagram. I posted some of these earlier today and a ton of you guys reached out with some extra questions and you answered some of the polls and I'm going to get into some of that uh, too shortly. But now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my screen so me and Andrew can look at some of these statistics that are out there. So this is one that, so the United States Census Bureau, this article just came out, said in the first quarter of 2021, the median asking rent for vacant rent units was 1226 and I wanted to show you this chart. So one of the things that Andrew said at the very beginning was if someone's buying at a three cap, there's also a big opportunity to create equity. My understanding of that is if they're okay with a three cap, that the way to raise equity or create more equity is they're going to do a little bit of rent increases. And all of a sudden they're going to turn a three into a three and a half or a three into a four, or they're going to add an extra million or 2 million in value right away, just based on rents. So I'm showing you a chart here, Andrew, that shows kind of median asking rents and then shows just a huge jump up in the first quarter of 2021, end of 2020. Have you seen this chart yet? Uh, I haven't seen this particular chart, but we've experienced it. Uh, absolutely. Is we, I mean, we've been getting anywhere from 5 to 12% increases on renewals in 2021. And um, we've got one property, the property that we closed on in March, on we're spending six thousand dollars per on the inside of the units renovating them and we're getting 25 percent rent increases when we when we relist those renovated units wow so when you're looking at this chart it says in 2017 median asking rent was 900 in 2020 and it had gone up to 1000 so between 2017 and 2020 it's about a 10 percent increase 11 percent increase from 900 to a thousand and then kind of last quarter of 2020 into 2021, the, it went from 1,000 to 1,200. So it's gone up 20%. Rents have gone up, you know, median asking rent's gone up 20% over the last about 12 months, 12 to 18 months, compared to just 10, the prior kind of three years before that, which is uh, really a wild jump up for that. The, do you think rents will, con so we've experienced the same thing in our single family houses. Most of our single family houses are in Texas and in Arizona. And we've seen the same increase where we're getting year over year increases from between eight and 12%. We just had a set of houses in the same neighborhood where we did rent increases. And we had actually seven people tell us they weren't going to renew and move out, which made me question my process a little bit. Out of the 24 houses we own on that street, they're all the exact same. Seven people said they were going to move out. We listed them on the market on Friday and we had you know nine apps this morning for all of those properties at that higher rent. So where I was yep. worried, like, oh my gosh, are we going to have too much vacancy? No, they're filling right away with the demand. And the and it's about a 14% year over year increase. Do you think rents are going to continue to fly? Again, that's supply demand. Do you think rents are going to continue to go up? I do think they're going to continue to go up. I don't think, it, I mean, the current pace of the increase is not sustainable, but you know, every forecast I've seen is for between five to 7% for this year, which candidly, we're already exceeding that. And then like four to six for 2022. You know, when you look at the, the demand and sh demand for housing and the shortage of housing, that points towards rent increases. But also when you just look at inflation in general that we have, that typically leads to rent increases. And then we're seeing very significant wage inflation right now. Employers are having a really difficult time getting people to come back to work. And one of the ways that they're you know, trying to incentivize people is to increase wages. And you're hearing a lot of states and uh, businesses say, okay, minimum, our minimum wage is now $15 an hour. And what that does, especially in the C-class properties and C-class houses, is all of a sudden those folks just got a significant uh, wage increase. And now they can afford rent, which is great, except that increases demand because there's now more people in that pool who can't afford the rent 
And then that demand pushes the rent up and it ends up kind of balancing out. So unless there is some very significant negative shift in the economy, uh, I do see rents continuing to increase. Again, I think they will maybe they will, you know, after 2021, the rent, the rate of increase will be lower and we might even plateau kind of flatten out for a while while everything catches its breath. But how I look at it is, well, even if rents were to come down a few percent, you know, when, we, when we're up 10, 12, 15% in six months to begin with, you know, your overall trend is very steeply up and to the right. Yeah. And if I was going to give one prediction around rent, something that you totally just hit on the head is right now wages are increasing, especially at the service level worker, because there aren't enough people working in restaurants. There aren't enough people working in hotels. Everywhere you go, there's a, you know, we're a hiring sign. So they have to bring up that rate. They're going to, they have to bring up the rate they're going to pay people. And as a direct result, rents go up. So until that kind of bottom employment market balances out and wages are stable enough where people are wanting to work again, I think we're going to continue to see rents going up at the same rate that those base level wages are. So if I was going to take the rents going up, they, they've gone up big, but they still have room to go. I don't think they're about to push back down. I agree with you. That they're going to keep going up. That'd be another vote for me of that. I think the market's going to continue to go up. Yeah. And, and you know, looking at this chart, this, this kind of jumps back to the bigger picture. You know, a lot of people are always asking like, oh, geez, you know, is now a time to buy? Should I wait? You know, should I? Well, if you look at this, this chart starts at 1997 and ends at 2021, right? So that that's 14, no, that's 24 years, right? Yep. When you look at this chart, there is not one, not a single significant decline in that entire 24 year period. So what that tells me looking at that, I mean, there's a couple of blips that seem to last about six months and that's it. So what that tells us is if you buy a property that cash flows at today's rents, your worst case scenario is you might just end up holding it for a little bit longer than you planned if prices dip. But otherwise, if you've bought the right property in the right market, the you know the last 24 years of history says you're going to be able to keep holding onto that property and eventually it'll appreciate and eventually the mortgage will pay down. That's such a great point, Andrew, because when we look back, I remember the housing crash of 08-09. Yep, me I too. Housing prices, especially in California, going from houses selling for six and $700,000 to two hundred dollars and $300,000. It was nutty. It was crazy. I'm traumatized by it still. And when COVID <laughs> happened, I was like, I, I remember just seeing the flashes of, oh my God, it's like 2009 all over again. But if you look back to the biggest crisis of my lifetime, the biggest housing crisis of my lifetime on this chart, you see a small blip of rents going down kind of beginning of 2010 for the first quarter. And they went from you know, 720 to maybe 670. And then they stayed stable until around 2011 with going up and down. And then they just went on their merry way. So when real estate prices got cut in half or 75% discounts, rent had very small discount. Super, super statistic there with, uh, when you get to look back at great point over 24 years. I mean, also in the last year, we've seen the highest increase on this chart over the last 24 years than you see the rest of it, but we don't have a big correction down. Very, very cool stuff. We're, gonna, we're watching history in the making right now. We'll get to see what happens. This next article is from Inman, and it says, a buyer-friendly market may soon be in reach, new data suggests. This is now, this is finally something on the opposite, opposite mm -hmm. side. The fall could bring cooling prices and more inventory, according to a new report. Buyers may catch a break from the red-hot housing market, according to Realtor.com's weekly housing trends. New listings fell 3% for the week, with year-over-year -year increases during 12 of the last 15 weeks. The analysis concluded that the dip was a direct result of 4th of July. The new listing growth over the past few months has helped slow price growth, giving buyers some room to breathe. And while the number of total active listings is still down 39% year over year, the decline is shrinking. In fact, according to analysts, it marked the 13th consecutive week that saw a smaller year over year decline. So what this article is saying is we still have less properties on the market than we had a year ago. But it's, but it's not as big of a gap. It's saying we're getting closer to year-over-year -year inventories. But I think in some places that means we're going from a month of inventory to a month and a half or a month of inventory to two months of uh, inventory. What do you think about that, Andrew? I think they're right, and I think this is a good thing. You know, the statistic I heard last week uh, was that the average days on market for a house was, I think it was six days, right? 
That's that's insane. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this this is more I think in your world. I believe a healthy market is considered when you have six months of inventory, right, available for for listing in the single family world. So, you know, when we talk about oh hey, inventory is going to increase, um, I think that's true because a lot of people are like, wow, I can get these incredible prices. It's a good time to you know I want to take some money off the table. You know, people also people are are less afraid of COVID. So now they're more willing to move. They're more willing to have people come inside their house and tour it, right? So all of those things lead to a little bit of an uptick in inventory. Why I think that's a good thing is the current rate of price appreciation is not it's too it's too fast to be healthy, right? We we you know the last I heard the median median's not average, so it's a little bit different. But the I, the median home price is up like what thirteen percent in the last twelve months. We can't do that year over year and maintain a, a healthy functioning housing market in society. So I do believe we'll see an increase in inventory, but there is so much demand for it that uh, I think any significant increase will be quickly absorbed and will actually lead to a more balanced, healthy market. Uh, I don't see enough of an increase, at least in the near future, to tip us into the flip side where it's a true buyer's market and sellers can't sell and there's no offers or anything like that. There's, you know, one caveat would be if interest rates go very, very high, very, very quickly. But other than that, I see that leading us to a more balanced market, which is actually be a healthier place than where we are today. Real estate rock stars. This is a commercial break from our podcast sponsor, House Folios. We're in real estate to find the next big deal, right? We want to find the deal, make money, and then turn around and do it all over again. It can be frustrating having to search through thousands of properties trying to find that Goldilocks property that is just right for your investment goals. That's why we're here to tell you about Housefolios. Housefolios is a management software for single family home investors that makes it simple to find good deals, get financing, and manage your property portfolios all from one platform. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily search for properties, both listed and unlisted, analyze numbers based on your specific assumptions, and provide resources to get you through underwriting and closing. And this is a feature we like most. You can track your numbers at multiple levels. Want to see the returns on the specific property in seconds? Check. How about an entire portfolio of properties you're looking to buy? Check. And then being able to present these properties to investors to become the go-to real estate agent for their investment needs? How awesome is that? Managing your investment properties has never been easier. The best part, it's affordable. Plans start at just $29 a month, 29 bucks to unlock the tools to manage your entire investing cycle all in one place. Check it out at housefolios.com. And if that's not enough, Housefolios is giving our listeners a special rate on an entire year of Housefolios, just 99 bucks. So instead of 29 bucks a month, 99 bucks for the year, head on over to housefolios.com forward slash RE Rockstars to sign up. Again, head over to housefolios.com forward slash RE Rockstars to get an entire year of Housefolios for only 99 bucks. Yeah, we used to decide if... Uh, you know, three to six months is healthy. And once the market got into three months of inventory, we felt like that was a great neighborhood to go try to flip in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. If we can sell a house in less than 90 days and that's a nice, safe investment. So yes, I think the, I think, I think there's, you know, listings are going up. Uh, I think people are getting a little bit discouraged. And so buyers are working, you know, taking a little bit longer to try to, you know, it, it, it's taking so long to get the houses. I think some buyers are maybe coming off the sidelines, but the demand is still so much higher. So if you were looking at that, so that, that article pretty much said, hey, we see average listings going up, months of inventory going up a little bit. So they think the fall is going to be an easier time to buy houses. Do you agree with that? And then also, do you think that that tells us the housing market is going to continue to go up? Do you think it's going to go down? Or do you think it's a neutral sort of comment? Um, I do agree with it. I think it's going to get a little bit easier for buyers come fall, especially in the single family world. And, you know, I, this is going to, this may sound weird to some folks, but I see that as a, as a vote for the, in, the market continuing because that's what's needed for it to be healthy. If we continue at 13% growth year for a long period of time, that's going to lead to something completely unsustainable. That is such an interesting point there. Andrew's point of if the market you know, continues to go crazy for another six months to a year, we're more likely to see a crash or a correction that's big. Uh, if, we, if we kind of slowly get into a healthy market of three months, on, um, uh, three months of inventory, six months of inventory, we don't see that price correction and that price correction. I'm a little surprised by your vote on that one, but I think I actually, as you talk through that, I, I agree with it. I agree with the concept that it would be better if we get to healthy 
uh, instead of seeing crazy 20% year over year, 20% year over year, because that is the correction. Yeah. So, so I think my official vote would be, would be neutral because as long as it, because if it goes too far, then yes, we could, we could have a bit of a decline. But when I look at it, I'm going to say it would, it would have to go a long ways to get into the too far category. So I think is it you know the in the in the immediate term I think it's a healthy thing so I would vote positive but the, the reason I say neutral is because well if it were to continue and get to nine months of inventory then that changes things but I I have a tough time seeing that happen in the near future anyways yeah so I did a, one of the polls I did today I did a few polls before coming on here based on some of the articles that we had shared and I said is buyer demand as high as it was six months ago thousand people voted on the poll. And 47% of people said, yep, multiple offer craziness. And 53% said, nope, it's slowing down. And so that's a pretty, that's a pretty even. That's some people saying, uh, and, and I think that probably depends a lot on, on where you are in the country. So there's definitely places where people are saying, it's, there's more houses on the market. They don't see lines out the door anymore. It's starting to average out. I got a lot of messages like that, that in their area, it's still a strong market, but they're not having to compete against people anymore. Uh, I have some houses for sale right now that we don't have multiple offers on. Yeah, I've got some houses that put, that put on the market and we're getting a lot of showings, but it's not selling for way more than asking like they were a few months ago. So I think that it is um, slowing down slightly. Uh, I still think that the right properties priced properly sell like crazy. So Andrew, so one of the other polls I did said, do you think interest rates will be higher or lower a year from now? What would you vote on that? I guess it depends on which interest rates you're talking about. So if we're talking about Fed funds rate or SOFR or something like that, I could see them still being right where they are today. You know, 10-year treasury and, you know, mortgage rates in the single family world, uh, you know, they could, there, there's definitely a case for them being higher, but they also could, again, be right where they are today. And that may sound crazy, but a couple, couple of things I'd point out. Number one, inflation and interest rates are not the same thing. Uh, we can have crazy inflation and not have higher interest rates, right? So if you look at today, like we have, you know, lumber's way up, copper's way up, steel's way up. We have shortages of everything. Gas is up. Prices on just about everything we consume are, at least in the short term, through the roof. But interest rates are still at dead bottom, right? So we ha currently have pretty high inflation, but we still have super low interest rates. So they're not always the same thing. And actually, one of the probably the Goldilocks scenario for real estate is inflate high and is well i shouldn't say high not crazy high but inflation with low interest rates right because of that that you know real estate is basically a, a bundle of commodities right all those things that we just talked about go into building real estate you've got wood you've got copper you've got you know steel all these things go into a house and then wage inflation we talked about earlier the price of that the value of that real estate goes up but you still have really low interest rates that's about as good as a situation as you get for for real estate and the reason i say that i'm not fully convinced that interest rates will necessarily shoot up is yes the united states is doing pretty well with covid and pretty well opening back up and getting things going much of the rest of the world is not and there still are significant deflationary pressures out there uh that that will kind of balance us out the other thing too is, is if think back every you know to three or six months ago if you listen to or talk to anybody everybody was absolutely convinced that interest rates in, in terms of the u.s treasury were just going straight to the moon right like better catch it while you can interest rates are going up you know we're going to be at two percent three percent four percent on the u.s treasury well in march that 10-year treasury topped out at 1.79. And since then, it has steadily declined, right? All the way to, I think today is 1.38%. So what that says is the bond, the US bond market is basically the largest financial market on the planet, right? When you, and so the one of the most sophisticated, largest financial markets and instruments in the on the planet is saying, yeah. We know there's five trillion in stimulus. We know everyone's printing money, and we still don't see interest rates going up in the near in the in in the in the near term, right? So, well, and then often, you know, I used to trade in the markets as well, and there's there's a rule that is anytime there's a consensus, that consensus is usually wrong, right? So we all, myself included, were pretty convinced three to six months ago interest rates are going up. They have to, and they've gone down. So I'm not. 
you know, would I sit here and say interest rates aren't going up? Heck no. Because traditionally, traditional economics would 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 put me in, you know, say I'd, I'd be a nutcase. But the bond market is saying that the bond market doesn't believe it, and so you know, it's it, that to me that's a really tough call to make because there are some significant conflicting signals on that one. This is such a fascinating, fun talk for me as you and I get to go through this because some of the questions that, that I'm sending to you, you know, so much stuff about. Out of the thousand people, thousand and four people answered this one rates higher or lower a year from now. And I need to be more specific too, because they did not say what rates do you mean? But the 86% of people said they believe interest rates are going to be higher a year from now. So on maybe my only poll item, we have a consensus. And that's probably the scariest one that you say, don't believe that right away. So I think that is, uh, that's some really, really great info. That, that's fun. This- well, if you don't like, I got one other just anecdotal piece of evidence some of the most sophisticated apartment buyers i know like guys in the 20 to in the 10 to 20,000 unit range they are doing almost exclusively floating rate loans right now that's wild and i guess that's also why someone would buy it a three cap if they think their interest rates actually going to go down if they're interest- yeah. covering it they think rents are going to go up their interest rate has a chance of going down that is uh man again i'm still traumatized by the crash and so anytime i get debt I want to get debt that I can lock in for a while instead. But the but you're saying no, we don't have to do that right now. The uh, we might be surprised, especially those. I like to buy. I like to tell myself Blackstone is still buying right now aggressively. I should be buying <laughs> yep. right aggressively well, because they keep keep in mind that inflation destroys the value of debt and makes the person who got that loan richer. Yeah. So everyone's saying let's get. Let's get more debt. Next article says boomers are only making the 2021 housing crisis worse. This is from Business Insider. They said boomers have more real estate wealth than any other generation. Unlike previous generations, many of them aren't listing their houses for sale as they get older. It's exacerbating a historic housing shortage, which made it difficult for millennials to buy homes. So that article to me, it says it says they're not breaking the traditions or they're breaking the tradition of selling. They've surpassed the silent generation for the Times data. Well, this peaked in 2011. 49% boomers still hold 44% of real estate wealth in 2021 compared to 31% of Gen Xers. So the it's a sign that boomers are aging in place. So have you experienced that much out there? Do you think what do you think that has as big of an impact on the real estate market as they're saying there? Yeah, I mean, I think it has some impact. I'm not sure quite how significant it is. Uh, I mean, it's I think to me, it would seem like the the most direct impact is it's withholding some inventory from the market, and therefore that contributes to the 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 shortage of inventory, and therefore yeah, contributes to the to con- to the competitive the very competitive buying environment. Yeah, and one of the things they they also compare in that article millennials, you know, so the. 10 years ago, it was really hard for millennials to you know, buy real estate because of you know, student debt and things like that. And so and during the recession, and now the housing boom is making it really hard for millennials to buy real estate and trade off that, these, that the people are, st- are staying in their houses instead of selling. So it's you know, less supply on the market, high demand, and it's kind of comparing the, you know, the two demographics that way, which makes it interesting. All right. So the uh, would you say that's a market continues to go up, market is neutral, or market goes down on that news? I mean, if that continues, that's a that's a positive for the the market in terms of pricing because you know go back to the economic you know economics one hundred and one supply and demand that limits supply, which means that you know demand. Uh, it, by limiting supply, you're in, and you have a fixed amount of demand that the smaller supply prices and rents will probably continue up. Yeah. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. RentReady is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real life human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. 
There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many come. They aren't going to punish you when you grow. They're not going to charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're going to charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out. Rent Ready. R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. Here is one of the interesting pieces of news. So there was, so one of the articles that I shared last week said new home construction is down and that's bad news for the housing market. And part of the decline in construction starts was that construction had gone up so much. Big reason was rising material costs. Lumber, for example, had been short supply. Single family construction dropped more than 13% in April compared to March. I talked to people a month ago about how, you know, inflation in commodities like this could be temporary, that technology would be able to bring it back down. And this article just came out July 13th. This one came out today. Nice. Lumber, lumber prices, this is markets from Business Insider. Lumber prices have turned negative now for the year after a red hot rally as the home improvement boom cools. Lumber prices have turned negative for the year as demand has cooled after a red hot rally. The futures price fell 5.6% on Monday, taking it 0.6% below where it started the year. Now it's still up from 12 months ago, but it's down from January 1st. Home improvement demand has dropped while suppliers have raised production. They're starting to get back into motion. That's kind of that technology coming back into play. Lumber soared in the first few months of 2021 as they're stuck at home. Prices peaked at 1,730 per thousand board feet. Oh, I guess what's it at now? So it's saying now they're down to 712. So it's down. It's at $712 per thousand and it was at 1,700 per thousand. So it's down 60% yeah, from where it was in May. That's uh that tells me that builders that have been waiting can start building again. Um, I'm an escrow on a bunch of new construction houses, and I, and I know the builders were stressed out about you know, material costs as we were locking in these new constructions, and I'm sure they see that, and they're like, let's buy all the lumber we can right now. That statistic is fascinating to me that that came out today. I was surprised to see it because even that they could get it that quickly adjusted because they were talking about they needed more people working in, in mills and production to be able to get the lumber back out there. Now they have somehow, you know, done that. They've caught up with it. That tells me that that can lead to a, you know, lead to a healthier market and or that will increase supply. So that's probably the only statistic for me so far that says supply will increase. And so that's the one thing that could lead to prices going down, at least on the new construction side, if material costs are now, you know, down 60% of where they were from May. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that that will eventually, and that's a little bit of a longer lead time thing, right? You talk, talk about new construction, your delivery uh, is what, at least on multifamily, it's like 18 to 24 months out. But yes, that would lead to more supply, uh, which would help things cool down a bit. Um, getting back to kind of what we talked about earlier, you know, I think that's actually big picture. That's a good thing because the current increases, you know, could would lead to, an, if they continued, would lead to a very unhealthy market. So in one sense, yes, uh, it's, it's a vote for down because it'll cool things down. But in big picture, I think that's healthy. And then also, I don't generally track lumber too closely, but I believe the long-term average for lumber is about 412. So 716 or 762, whatever that was, is still pretty high. All right, it's still a 70 or 80% increase over normal, which is going to lead to you know, higher costs of building. If listeners, he said, I barely keep track of this, but I think the normal number is around 412. So the, that's <laughs> I'm barely paying attention to what's going on here, but you're absolutely, he pulls a number out that I think is, is absolutely accurate. So yes, before you know, February, February, 2020, March, 2020, you know, lumber is going to be around 400 per thousand board feet. So we're still up from then. We're starting to see that correction. Maybe more builders get out there. The, Andrew, you're a wealth of information as we get to go through this stuff. I knew we were going to have so much fun today. Oh, I love these conversations. I could do this all day long. The other side of this listeners is Andrew had no idea which articles we were going to be talking about today. The, he, you know, we were, we're in a mastermind together. We've talked all, we talk periodically. He, you know, he sends out these, you know, apartment letters to, to people about doing different investments. 
presence and I was just glad he could get on today so we could talk about this. I've got a few more articles as we're wrapping up. Just our last, you know, probably 10 minutes of the podcast. The, this next article says, wait until 2022 to buy a house, economists say. So here's a news article that is saying it's going to get easier to buy a house next year. Let's see what they say why. They say prospective home buyers will face low supply and high prices for at least another year. The U.S. doesn't have enough homes to meet demand and builders are struggling to keep up. But economists do see price growth cooling in 2022, but only if construction picks up and demand holds steady. So they're saying, again, supply demand. If supply, if supply goes up because construction goes up, but demand doesn't go up at the same price, then it says America is still in a seller's market when it comes to housing and could stay there for at least another year. Prices are climbing at the fastest pace in more than three decades. In May, the average listing was only on the market for 17 days for it to become a buyer's market for sale. Unless construction picks up, the near-term outlook for prices is promising. So millennials are hitting peak home buying age is one of the things that it says in there. So as long as demand kind of you know, stays solid. Uh, it also said builders didn't know 2020 and 2021 were going to be some of the best years in the housing market ever. Uh, they would have needed to plan for <laughs> growth year. So 2019, they would have had to build out and get yeah. it takes them a couple of years. And I'm remembering this. Builders got burned after the late 2000 bubble burst as homes away from city centers hurt their books. And so they've slowed down. Now we see a lot of building going on. But overall, that article says it's going to cool off. Now, in one sense, that, tell, that doesn't tell me prices are going to cool off. That tells me that the supply and demand gets back to a healthier market. So around that three you know, months of inventory. If you combine that with you know, interest rates you know, maybe staying the same or going down, then you've got houses being more affordable uh, a year from now. But so, and maybe their headline is a little bit not super forthcoming. It says, you know, wait until 2022 to buy a house. Most people are saying, should I buy a house now or should I wait? Should I sell my house for top dollar and buy again uh, in a year? And what's going to happen as they're trying to forecast? So this economist is saying, wait until 2022. The, what do you think about the things that they're saying in there? Well, first of all, market timers almost always lose. The, you know, I mean, that is almost never, almost never successful. There's are a few people got it back in 2006 and 2007 because there were some very, very clear signals. But generally speaking, market timers tend to lose. What the, I think the clear, the thing to get out of that article is they did not say they're expecting price declines. They expect, they said they're expecting growth to slow down. Right. So that says. That doesn't say prices come down. That says the rate of increase slows down. So if you're looking at a $250,000 house that's appreciating at 10% this year, maybe next year it only appreciates at 3%, but it's still appreciating. So if you're waiting to get in, just hoping to get a lower price, that's not what the article is saying. And candidly, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. At least not in most markets. Also, the other thing to keep in mind is most home buyers aren't truly shopping on price. They're shopping on payment, right? So what they're, what you get, what, what the, the true thing to look at is not just the payment of the house, or sorry, not just the price of the house, but it's what does that mortgage payment look like? So when you take the price of the house combined with where interest rates are, that's that's the really determining factor of 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 you know how much you know cooling and growth that we might see. You know, for example, if you look at the last couple of years, prices have shot through the roof, but rates have come down. So therefore, that payment is still affordable in in, in most cases. I mean, clearly, there's market ex, you know extremes and examples of where it's not affordable. But just generally speaking, even though prices have gone up as rates have come down. Those, those dropping rates have made that payment affordable, and the vast majority of Americans are shopping based on payment. And so I don't think that article is saying that a crash is coming. I think they're saying a cooling of the rate of growth, which again, I, th I hope that happens. I think that leads to longer term market health and sustainability. So if you were going to vote, market ke prices keep going up, prices keep going down, prices neutral, sound like almost like a neutral type vote on that. that. That article doesn't shift your thinking one way or another. No, I'd say neutral. In fact, I, I think the article is correct. I mean, I do think we're going to see a cooling in growth. And, but again, I think that's a good thing. Because what they did not say, they did not say we see a decline in prices in 2022. They just said, hey, we see a slowdown in growth. So if you're looking to buy a house... And you're saying, well, I want to wait till 2022 to things cool down a bit. If interest rates go up, let's, let's say interest price, prices actually do come down a bit, right? Well, if interest rates have gone up, your payment's either going to be the same or more. 
right? So, you know, if you're left where you're a home buyer looking to live in it, you really, you're, you, what you want to do is secure the lowest payment. If you're an investor looking to get a rental property, you want to secure the lowest payment because you want to have your rent exceed that payment because, you know, regardless, the only time the price of a property matters if it's a rental is when you buy it, refinance it, or sell it. Right. So if you buy today and, and it rents well and you get cash flow off of it and the price declines 20 percent over the next few years and then you just keep renting that thing out. Right. Go back to that early chart where during the great, you know, the, the great recession, rents basically stayed flat. Right. So let's say that happens again. You just keep renting that sucker for a few more years. And then as long as you can cash flow it, that you know, with inflation and everything else, eventually that, that pricing comes back up and, and it ends up being a great long-term investment. And so that's how I look at that and how I would, you know, take, uh, you know, advise people to, to evaluate it. I remember Robert Kiyosaki saying, you know, he, he never lost money on real estate. And on some of that, he would say, well, I haven't sold it yet. Uh, I remember <laughs> yeah. a couple bad deals in 2012 and 2013, and we kept them as rentals instead of selling them. Instead of selling them and taking a hundred thousand dollar loss at the time, we kept them as rentals. And now we're able to sell them for what we had in them and the instead of taking that giant loss and doing it over time. So that was a lesson that we got to learn too. You talked a little bit about timing the market too. And I was I was talking to a good friend of mine today and he called me and he said, Hey, I want some advice. I'm selling a property in one state. I own a property out in Florida. We'd really like he's got a giant property up in, in the northern US. And now he's got a property down in, in Florida, but they essentially want to sell their big one to buy a bigger one down in Florida, but he's trying to figure out how to time the market. And he's uh -huh. saying, hey, should I, should I sell my $4 million house up here? And should I sell my three million, and that's just high end luxury, and my $3 million you know, luxury house in Florida right now, and then wait until next year to buy my big one in Florida, my big one on the ocean, my giant one, uh, because I think prices are gonna come down a little bit or not. And so that, that market timing type thing, the advice I gave him was I said, you know, the selling the selling the northern, you know, U U.S. property right now. I think tonight, right now, is a great time to sell it. There's political things that mm -hmm. would be pushing that in. There is, there's reason to believe that maybe the person willing to buy that right now, and the and so it's in the state of Michigan. Not great economics going on uh, there right now. Not great political stuff right now. And so it was thinking through that the that the ideal buyer for that luxury property up there. There's maybe going to be fewer of them a year from now. So I thought that was a good idea to sell. The other advice I gave him was not to sell his Florida one until he was willing to buy his next Florida one. So the advantage of selling it, if you sell at the top of the market and you buy at the bottom of the market, now that's brilliant, right? That's forecasting. Yeah. I had Sean O'Toole on the podcast you know, a couple months ago and he timed some markets just crazy. He sold everything in 2005, you know, built foreclosure radar in 2007 and then, then we had the housing market crash. Like brilliant guy, predicted a lot of different things. But unless you're going to predict exactly the, the benefit of selling at the top of the market, it, the downside is if you, if you go buy a house right now, you're going to be paying top dollar. But if you sell a house right now, you're going, to be, you're going to be selling it for top dollar. So I told him, if you're staying in the same city, the same area, the same sort of thing, you know, don't try to time the market. Sell the property when you're ready to buy because you're still going to get the benefit. It's going to like offset. The, the, the extreme prices you're paying now or the extreme prices you're paying six months from now are going to be offset by the property you're selling is still that same price. I don't know if I communicated that property. Would you give properly to you? Do you, do you have sim, do you, would you give similar advice? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're moving markets, that, that can make a lot of sense. If you're trying to buy and sell in the same market, you know, I don't think that makes sense in terms of, you know, trying to make gains on pricing. Um, the one time that that could make sense is when, is when it comes down to the velocity of money, right? If when you look at the return on, you know, if you've got a ton of equity in a property and you look at how much, not how much you invested in it, but how much equity you have in it, and then the cash flow you're making, your return on that equity could be super low, right? So if you sell, take all that equity and leverage that into either a bigger property or multiple properties, you're increasing the return on that equity. So that's a good reason to sell and stay in the same market. I would say it's, you know, if you're just like, oh, this market's high, I'm gonna sell and then buy another property a year later in the market. I think in most markets, the, that's probably, you know, the odds are against you. Uh, but if you're, if you're trying to say, hey, I wanna sell out of this market, which maybe you've got some concerns about and then get into another market, then yeah, right now could be a great time to do that. And I would say, any market that you have any concerns about going forward, 
maybe a market that you think uh, you know has economic headwinds or if we get into recession is really going to suffer. Yeah, like these it's kind of sellers markets that we're in now. This is the right time to cull the herd, right? Uh, Where basically if you've got any weak properties or properties that have been a headache or maybe are difficult to manage or in a normal market might be tough to sell, now is the time to unload those and use this as an opportunity to 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 take, you know, uh, unload weaker assets and re- redeploy that capital into stronger assets and stronger markets. Yeah, we're totally doing that with our single family stuff right now. Anything that doesn't have that strong cap rate, the weird houses sell right now. The ones with the funky plans, the funky something, they sell right now. And there are so many good markets that feel strong and they've got all the good news. So I love kind of that, your tie on at the end there that says, no, if you've got a place that you're questioning the future of that place at all, then it's a great time to sell now because right now is strong. And there's plenty of markets out there where you can put your money, where you're not questioning the future because it feels like stuff is strong. So the Andrew, do you have a few more minutes? I have I have just a, a couple articles left. I know we had a hard stop right now. Or do you have another thing you're jumping onto? Yeah, sure, go for it. All right. So the I'm gonna jump in uh, and we'll do our fire round on just our last couple. I was just gonna share with people. I posted you know an article last week that said your rents are going to keep going up. We talked about that one. The Great American Land Land Rush is wiping out the starter home, and it's saying you know starter homes were at the historic lows. Um, and feds know skyrocketing home prices are a problem, but doesn't know what to do about it. So all those articles are saying market is going to be going strong. The, and, and I'll just run through these last ones, and then we'll go through just uh, one or two little questions that people sent in. The other article I mentioned earlier, pension funds are pumping money into single-family homes, rented out at a profit. There's so much room to run. And so I like to go where Blackstone is going. I like to go where yeah. the people that are spending the money on the research I like to believe in that too. Pension funds are pumping money into single family homes, rented out at a profit. There's so much room to run. They believe prices are going to continue to go up, probably for things like what Andrew talked about, you know, rates staying stable or rates going down at the same, you know, while we also see rents going up. Even if rates stay the same or go up slightly, rates are not going to go up at the same rate as rental increases right now. If rents are going up 10 to 12% a year, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to see, you know, rents are, uh, interest rates doing the same thing. They talk in here about, you know, including investors, single family rental buyers purchased a record $77 billion worth of homes the last quarter of 2020. So that's kind of the last good news one. And I'm going to jump into the other one that is now finally talking about uh, some foreclosures in here. It's foreclosure watch the 10 most at risk US cities. As you start going through the statistics of Possible foreclosures. I had a few people ask questions about foreclosures. It says Atlanta, Georgia, 17% of the loans in Sandy Springs are delinquent. 12 are seriously delinquent. And of in that area, 17% are backed by FHA. Houston, Texas, total of delinquent homes, 17.4%. Chicago, Illinois, 18.8%. This is an article from Inman that came out. Dallas, Texas, 19.1% delinquent loans. Mm-hmm. We'll back a ton of data on that that I'll probably be talking about on my next state of the market podcast. So we've got these areas, uh, Riverside, California, you know about about that area over there, San Antonio, Texas, Fort Worth, Texas. A lot of Texas has, you know, a a lot of delinquent loans. Now, historically, what people should put into perspective is California and Texas have the most foreclosures. They always have. There's been more foreclosures in those places than others. So it's not super surprising to see those stats on there. But the, have you, have you been following some of the questions is if something's in foreclosure, why wouldn't someone just sell it? And even at that level, they're not going to see the supply come up enough to really make a big impact. What do you What do you think about you know the Wall Street comparison of them buying houses, but also the other side of that that you know maybe there's some foreclosure risk now. Yeah, and you know I started when I was flipping. That was in foreclosures. That was where I started, and it's amazing that yeah, people in foreclosure. There's a certain percentage of them. They just they just they. For whatever reason, they don't want to face reality. They just, or, you know, pick your reasons. They just hold out until the last second and don't and don't sell and don't and, and you know they, whether it's false hope or you know whatever they they hold out until it's too late and they lose it to foreclosure. I do think we will see some increases in foreclosure. At the same time, I don't think the current administration is going to let there be a huge wave of foreclosures. The CFPB, Consumer um, Protection Bureau, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau has already been given warnings to lenders. They have very sternly come out and said, you know, with kind of some dark undertones, like you better make sure there are no preventable foreclosures, right? And, you know, so I think what we're gonna see, we're gonna see a lot of kicking the can down the road 
extending forbearances. And then also a lot of lenders learned their lesson last time. They don't want to have thousands of REOs. So I think what we're going to see when the, when the, the moratoriums and the extensions stop, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of loan modifications. So people who want to stay in their homes and get their loans modified, they claim COVID and, and you know, if it's a, a government sponsored loan, which is the majority of them, they're probably going to be able to get a modification. And then, like you said, anyone who is even remotely proactive and can't get a modification or can't stay in the home, they can sell it. Almost, most, there's very few homes right now that are still under underwater and can't sell. So I do think it'll lead to some inventory. Again, I, I don't see a 2008, 2009 style flood of foreclosures. Yeah. The, you know, we've got the data in Dallas and San Antonio and from the foreclosure postings that happened in last July, none of them actually went to sale as the beginning of the moratorium. Only 25 to 30% of them have actually sold, have only have actually like sold a third party or had anything happen, which means 70% of them are still kind of in that kind of defaultish area. But I, th- I, do th- I do agree. I think in September, they're going to unlock foreclosures, but I think that individual banks are not going to release them at a skyrocketing level. I think we'll probably see the numbers go back to, we were seeing 6,000 a month in Texas before, uh, before March. Now we're seeing 1,500. There's like 60,000 as a backlog. Maybe they'll get back up to 6,000 or up to six or 8,000. So I do think they're going to come out. I think a lot of times people will sell them. There will still be those that people don't. In general, it's going to make it a healthier market as well. So one of the, the last couple of things that people put on here, the, you know, they said, some of the people said, are do we, the Fed's really going to allow foreclosures. Somebody said there's too much conflicting news right now. And so time in the market is better than timing, trying to time the market, as Warren Buffett says. So he's still buying. Another guy says real estate is saturated at a fever pitch. It's 2007 all over. Junk bonds and all. TikTok, I told him to go okay. vote. Overall, so there are some people that say it's going down. A lot of our articles said it's going up. There is, for listeners, you want to hear more about foreclosures? I'm going to talk more about foreclosures next week. The last thing I asked with so much conflicting news, I said, will prices be higher or lower a year from now? 61% of, of people that talked to me said they were going to be higher a year from now. I would, when we looked at our voting, you know, Andrew and I kind of, we had like six or seven votes for markets going up. We had three that were kind of neutral. Maybe we had one or two that said the market's going down. Overall, I think a year from now, prices are going to be higher than they are uh, right now. And then Michael and then Andrew, thanks for all the extra time. What's your final vote on prices a year from now? And then how can people reach out to you? My final vote, I mean, to be fully transparent, it makes me nervous because after 10 years of growth, everything in my brain says, well, it's got to go down. Yeah. But when we go, when we, we just took a, a pretty, you know, objective walk through quite a few factors. And when we objectively looked at each one of those factors, the majority of them were up, a couple of them were neutral. So I have to vote for, I think prices are going to be at least somewhat higher next year. And um, that's, you know, that's how we're operating is on that, um, on that assumption. We're doing everything we can to hedge against in case that's not correct. But we do think that is going to be the case for both single family and multifamily that prices will be higher next year. As far as connecting with me, probably the best way is uh, just our website. If you Google Vantage Point Acquisitions, uh, that'll be the top top search result. It's the website is vpacq.com. Uh, there's a handful of tabs on there that um, you can connect with me uh, just, just you know, where it comes to in my inbox. We can set up a call. Uh, we also have a mastermind for people who are actively investing in real estate and want to uh, be part of a group of other people who are doing that to share resources and expertise and learning. And uh, yeah, that's probably the best way is uh, Vantage Point Acquisitions. That's awesome. Yeah, Andrew and I, we met at GoBundance. The, uh, if you guys want to come hang out with us, there's an, a, a GoBundance event next month. Maybe you guys can, can come see us out there. I'll be there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be there too. We'll be able to chat, do some more of these conversations. Andrew, always awesome to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Real Estate Rockstars, I hope you guys like this. Thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. 
So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients, and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.